Hey, it's New Classical Tracks. If you're enjoying the podcast, take a minute and leave us a rating or review on your podcast app. Thanks. Leo Tolstoy's 1889 novella, The Kreutzer Sonata, was inspired by Beethoven's sonata of the same name, written in 1803. Both the novella and the sonata inspired Leo Janacek to create his Kreutzer Sonata String Quartet, which would in turn go on to inspire 21st century works by Anna Klein and Colin Jacobson. Violinist Colin and his brother, conductor Eric Jacobson, and their band, The Knights, explore those centuries-spanning conversations in their new album, The Kreutzer Project. I'm Valerie Kaler, sitting in for Julia Mocker, and this is New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. Well, hello. Welcome. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to talk to you guys about uh, about this album, which is just wonderful and intriguing. And Thank you. Thank you. First, what I'm going to do is ask you to, to introduce yourselves and just tell folks briefly who you are, what you do. Sure. Hey, everyone. This is Eric Jacobson, co-artistic director and conductor of The Knights. Hello, I'm Colin Jacobson, Eric's brother, older brother, and also co-artistic director of The Knights and a violinist and composer. So your new album is called The Kreutzer Project. What was the genesis? What was the kernel of the idea that launched this project? There were a couple things that kind of got this going. One was the desire to explore music as a chamber orchestra but not from a scaled down version, you know? So thinking about the types of music that can expand and actually you could expand the color palette of all the things we do as a chamber orchestra. And I actually can't totally remember if the Beethoven violin and piano sonata was the first thing that we said, oh my gosh, this can be a concerto. Or if we looked at the Janacek String Quartet, which of course is one of the most colorful pieces ever written and said, wow, this could absolutely have harp and snare drum and winds and can expand. So I think it was kind of side by side that we thought of these pieces together. And of course, maybe the biggest thing was the fact that they were speaking to each other, but a hundred years apart. And the Tolstoy novella called the Kreutzer Sonata, of course, was uh, speaking to the Beethoven. And we thought, oh, well, if this piece was able to take, uh, you know, a giant jump 100 years later, well, why can't it do it again? And therefore bringing it to Anna Klein and Colin and arrangements made today of these great pieces felt like a, a perfect a way to bring something to the now that really is so rooted in in the historic pillars of great classical music. Colin, your arrangement of Beethoven's Kreutzer Sonata opens the album originally for violin and piano, but in his inscription, Beethoven himself said the sonata was written like a concerto, so not a big leap to actually make it so? It's true, and uh, uh, yeah, I think that gave me the license 
And another thing is that there's a contemporaneous arrangement of that piece as a cello quintet. As, as you know, many uh, symphonic works before recorded music or radio, I mean, you, if you wanted to experience something and you couldn't go to uh, hear Beethoven himself do it, to experience it in the living room, there was a lot of arranging going on. So that was one version. And I enjoyed playing that. But I think like that idea of Beethoven thinking of it as a concerto gave me license to feel like I could, I could work with that. And of course, you know, I have always studied Beethoven's scores, but really did a deep dive into his orchestration and sound world to try to, you know, I, I, you, when arranging, there's always this question of how faithful do you be to the time period or whatever. And I think in this case, I did want to, through my lens, think about how Beethoven might have scored it himself. When it comes to doing a project like this, how do you choose which instrument to take a particular melody? Well, I guess, once again, it's like a, a, a knowledge of, of Beethoven's symphonies and his violin concerto and piano concerti, like um, just imagining that sound world. And when you look at certain melodies, they suggest certain things or like the very opening suggested to me a wind chorale in response to the opening violin. Or, for instance, the second movement, the theme and variations, to me has a very serenade-like feel, or very much like Beethoven's septet, or Schubert's octet. So I was thinking very much of, of that tonal palette that Schubert and Beethoven use in those two chamber works. Cello opening of that second movement really sets up a, a super lovely handoff when you come in with the same melody. I heard shades of maybe the pastoral symphony in that second movement. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, especially towards the end, the coda gets to this very, you know, just lovely place in its F major. It does remind me of the pastorale as well. There's a, a lot of material there to work with, plenty of notes. <laughs> Beethoven's sonatas are infamous for being just as hard for the pianist as for the violinist. And I feel like it is the Beethoven sonatas that made pianists finally say, you know what? No, I am not an accompanist. I am a collaborative pianist, damn it. Yes. And these works are just so noty <laughs> for the piano. Yeah, well, and so that's the that's the thing in this version is really, I mean, it's a violin concerto, but the orchestra is playing the piano part, and that is incredibly virtuosic. So really, it's a concerto grosso grosso, because everyone has to pull their weight with very virtuosic lines.
using only the actual notes written by Beethoven, just assigned in various places, and right. versus fleshing it out, adding notes to a chord or whatever? Most of the time, they are Beethoven's notes and just voiced in particular ways. Um, trying to think. Uh, once in a while, maybe things are, are filled out more. Um, but I was pretty, I was trying to be pretty faithful to what is there. Yeah, I think that's the case. Eric, as you listen to a piece created by your brother, are there any favorite bits, any places that just make you think, ah, yeah, that's my brother. Yeah. I'm so proud of that. Or, you know, just places that you love listening to or playing every time you, you go through it. Well, in the Beethoven, I think I'm amazed by how much it really sounds like the sound world of Beethoven. Yet, maybe very small nuances that I kind of see as my brother, as like unique things as, as uh, he tends to do. Um, but I really feel that when someone listens to this, if you didn't know uh, that it was arranged and, and made today, I think one would, would probably assume that it was made at a period uh, you know, surrounding Beethoven's life because it fits really in that, that world. And you know, we all know, just because we know Beethoven's catalog, that he didn't make this arrangement, but it almost feels like it could be. For a, for a composer who only wrote one violin concerto, and of course it's one of the greatest pieces ever, I feel like this is an incredible compliment to that piece, a totally different style of Beethoven, and I think it works like that so well. Colin's piece on this album, Kreutzings, is um, absolutely all of the fun and quirky things that make my brother my brother. <laughs> there are things about it, when you listen to it through, if you do put on the cap of, if this is interesting and out and weird at times and harmonies are out there and like the, the jaggedness at times, lyricism, I think that is uh, Colin's spirit in this piece really, really coming through. I think you have, um, because because I know Colin uh, happens to love the Dada time period and art world, I think you get that from this for sure, but then you get this incredible rhythmic palette near the end where you're kind of, you're going back and forth between sixes and fives. More or less, your beat, your your heartbeat, it's like it just slowly contracts and then expands in length and you don't really get it at first. It's like, oh, this is normal. Oh, it's a little faster. Oh, it's a little slower. Oh, this thing keeps on coming back and forth. And it's it's like this expansion and contraction that's very Colin. And it's, it's actually very 
tricky. It's very complicated to play certain things of this piece. And they're all worth it because when you actually get them and really lock them in and they start feeling like the interchanging of um, sometimes even like picking instruments, like uh, we've gotten to do a lot with Bela Fleck and there are times where he really goes back and forth with these tempo changes and something stays constant, kind of like you're walking down the street and no matter what, your next step comes next, but maybe the, the, the sidewalk changes or the boxes on the, on the sidewalk changes, or now you're in the street, but you are still walking the exact same pace. It's, um, it is very thrilling to get to play Collins, Collins' piece, Kreutzings. <laughs> I love how it starts sort of crisply. and then devolves for a few minutes into what sounds like that beautiful cacophony of an orchestra warming up on stage where you hear different fragments of melody, like a different section playing, oh, let's drill this part or that part. And then, if you will indulge me here for just a moment, you know that scene in The Fisher King where Robin Williams is in is in Grand Central Station in the huge main hall, and it's just swarming with people. But then he sees the woman he loves, and and suddenly, just seamlessly, all that chaos morphs into hundreds of couples waltzing. I love that. In this perfect synchronicity. That striking visual of seeing beauty and pattern in the chaos, that's what came to my mind as I heard that part where the chaos sort of morphed into that cello clarinet unison a few minutes in. Mm -hmm. What was in yours? I love that image of pattern. What did you say? Pattern and, and beauty coming out of chaos. I mean, I think you know, one theme uniting all the pieces on this album, including Kreutzings, is uh, obsession and inspiration. So uh, obviously the Beethoven so influenced Tolstoy, who so influenced Janacek in writing his piece. And Janacek also quoted the Beethoven. And then Anna Klein and myself both looked at both, both of those pieces, Beethoven and Janacek and the Tolstoy for inspiration. And I think pattern, patterns in general, whether they be visual art, arts, you know, textiles, or is a, is a place you can get crazy for crazy for love in a way, uh, you know, the love of patterns. And, and um, you know, Rudolf Kreutzer was the dedicatee of Beethoven's sonata after he pulled it from George Bridgetower, British violinist of African descent who premiered the work, but then had, he and Beethoven had a falling out and, um, so Beethoven dedicated it to Rudolf Kreutzer, one of the founders of the French violin school. And, but his name, he never played the piece. His name is all over all of this album. But I thought, I grew up playing Rudolf Kreutzer's etudes, especially number two. Many violinists slog their way through these interminable bowing variations of patterns. And so I thought I would take a little find the ghost of Kreutzer in this piece and so there's a little pattern 
that comes from Kreutzer's Sonata, I mean, um, Etude Number no. Two, that forms one of the basis of this piece. And it becomes in in this piece a pattern. That's that's an eight. It becomes a seven. Which is one of the main motifs. Another thing is um, the chord progression at the end, which I assume is what your or Eric was describing as walking on the pave, uneven pavement. The chord progression underneath that comes from the second theme of Beethoven's Kreutzer Sonata in the first movement. Those are a little bit of the underpinnings, but really I loved, I loved that idea of taking that pattern and then having it go through a hall of mirrors or a ghostly place and then sort of find its way again. About two minutes in, we hear these sort of smeary bird calls, kind of. Mm. They manage to sound precise and completely blurry at the same time. How, how do you do that? How do you notate that? Well, yeah, so I think that's, that might be the spot uh, that I'm thinking of the ghost of Kreutzer because uh, what happens there is this pattern has been going on and developing and transforming and kind of in a lovely way. And then all of a sudden you step into, I guess for those who watch Stranger Things, the upside down, <laughs> you know? Um, and the notation of that is the strings are playing this pattern just as a finger pattern. I notated the fingering, but no specific pitches and a contour of line. So approximately the part of the violin, you might be playing that. Um, and against that, the harp, piccolo, and bass are playing the extremes of highs and lows, um, sort of refracted versions of the opening of the piece. So. Those are the precise sort of entrances, but the rhythm is continuous and it never, never stops being in time, but it is, it is shmiri, as you, as you said, and ghostly. What's the Beethoven symphony that you're quoting with the octaves? Oh yeah, got it. That's, num that's Beethoven eight, um, which we had played right around the time I was writing this, we had toured all over Europe with Beethoven 8. So that, that kind of became the exit out of the weird space that we're in at that point. Now, it's super fun piece to listen to, but I also kept thinking this would be such a fun piece to play as a musician because there's so much sort of inside baseball stuff happening in the piece. But it feels... Not like an inside joke that leaves the listener out, but more like sharing the insider musician's experience with listeners. So I think that's an interesting tightrope that you managed to walk there to do both of those things. Well, thank you. Well, I mean, I think, you know, composers, including Beethoven, everyone, you know, you're thinking about the materials of music and the, the history that you know, and often those things are the the generative parts of writing. So even if they are insider at first, that isn't 
their sole goal, at least for me, it is, it is to reach a listener and have a good experience. And, and for my colleagues in the nights, I'm, I'm keenly aware when I'm writing for people in the group that I'm writing for these human beings and I want them to, to, to be surprised and have a good experience. And one final question, the title, is it like musing on Kreutzer Kreutzings or is it zing? Do you, did you have? Oh yeah, good question. I guess I was thinking the word Kreutz, it's cross, so maybe crossings, but with the word Kreutz, Kreutz in there. Knight's cellist Karen Ozunian is featured on Anna Klein's piece, Shorthand, which also takes its inspiration from Beethoven and from Tolstoy's novella and from Janacek's quartet, which we'll talk about in just a bit. Where do we hear those elements in this piece? Beethoven, Tolstoy, Janacek. Well, first of all, the the title shorthand comes from a quote from Tolstoy's novella, The Kreutzer Sonata, which is music is the shorthand of emotion. And, um, you know, in the Tolstoy novella, he sort of paints Beethoven's Kreutzer Sonata as uh, a thing of the devil, you know, kind of uh, inciting the passions in a way that is not healthy for this married couple, I guess. But that's not the way Janacek viewed music. He viewed it as as a... healthy agent for society. But Anna Klein, I think, is using a couple of quotes, uh, melodic quotes from from the Janacek. And and I feel like the atmosphere of the piece is more of the Janacek than Beethoven. It has a sort of Eastern European haunted and haunting sound world. And it's, it's so beautifully played by Karen Uzunian, uh, just uh, rhapsodic. And, you know, she has such a, a beautiful, committed way of playing and sound and, and kind of is a perfect pairing, it feels like, for this piece. Eric, you picked up your cello for this one. Yeah, well, the fun thing that I got to experience with this piece is now, so I, I have played the solo cello part um, because it was it was co-commissioned by the Knights and the Orlando Philharmonic. And I I premiered it down here in the sort of like orchestral version. And then I got to play the cello part in the in the sextet, the recording that's on this, this album of the Kreutzer. And then um, I just recently got to conduct it with Karen. So I've got to see it from a little bit from all different sides and it was really, that's the way to learn something. You know, you play the part, uh, you play a lead role, a different role in the part, and then you conduct it. That's, it was just very exciting. And getting to talk with Anna through, through the process of both writing it, um, which was really, you know, it was really funny is I remember getting a sketch from her in February with some questions. I'm like, oh, this looks great. And then what I got two months later as more final literally was totally different I don't know what happened but she just kind of went a totally different direction I'm like gosh was my feedback strange or no you just went there um I think her process must be so unique uh in 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 composition where she's you know 
writing melodies, writing structures, writing uh, phrases, and then how she stitches that all together is, is really special. And, and I think the role of cello, cellist, solo cellist in this particular uh, recording, uh, in, in this particular piece, and in this recording with Karen Azunian, you really get the sense of storyteller soloist but but almost vocalist almost like this is the way this is the way the story went and then this happened and then there's a little bit of this and i i think that's what she might have been going for like a little bit of embracing the, the literary element of of the of the tolstoy in this As I listen to this piece, my awareness of the sound of the room is different. There's just a different sound. Yeah, it, and I think what you're picking up in is is the the beautiful, unique sound found at Caramore in in their beautiful recital hall, their Rosa room. We recorded this live at a concert and then did you know a recording session around it. And that particular space, if you haven't been to Caramore for their chamber music series, it's really very unique just because of that it really is a um it 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 blends everything together but you keep the unique strands of each instrument and yeah we were we were a little bit spaced more than usual but honestly by the end of the by the, by the time we were actually in the space and playing we had all scooted pretty close together i think there was you know um yeah we were trying to to have that thing that musicians love, which is that you could kind of hear each other breathe and, and kind of see each other's minute motions and have that chamber thing, because that's what this is. I mean, uh, we played it on a program with the Brahms sextet, the G major Brahms sextet. And I think, you know, those two pieces, though not necessarily direct influenced, you know, there's, there's that feeling where you have the violins start like a, a rhythm pattern together and the violas play something off it that's slightly different and, you know, embracing that, that thing of, uh, of community. And I think that's what, that's what this, this version of it, that, you know, that particularly the, the sextet version of it feels like. What emotion are you feeling as you play this, riffing off of that Tolstoy quote, music is the shorthand of emotion? I feel like um, she gets sort of the, with Janacek too, there's such a directness of expression, really. You know, it, I, I feel like Janacek even criticized some of, I mean, he, he admired Beethoven, but he even felt like some of Beethoven was coming from a, a sense of convention, like this is the form and this is what we do. Whereas Janacek, it's so quirky and direct and personal. And I, I feel like Anna also got to a very personal statement. And also the sound world that she creates is a lot of very extreme, you know, we call it sultasto, really airy sort of bowing. It's a very particular color that 
I don't know. I, I guess I feel sort of like I'm in sepia tones while I'm while I'm playing this piece. You know, when you say that, Colin, it makes me think of that um, transition from Beethoven to Janáček because this, you know, there are times when Beethoven's music, and and most often in his first, say, two thirds of his life, more often than not, even in his most breathtaking and um, edgy pieces, his fifth and seventh symphony, and you know some of his piano sonatas and and the the middle quartets, they they do follow a form, and there's something that's so incredible about the fact that yes, they are following a form, yet they are busting at the seams. And this Kreutzer, the the, the Beethoven sonata, the Kreutzer sonata. Um, it is following a form in, in the second and third movements, in the first movement too, but somehow the first movement has extra room, an extra theme here. And it's just, it can't contain itself. And the Janacek never even attempts to contain itself. <laughs> except in, in the desire to like hold the energy so that it could bust forth and explode. And I, and I think maybe the two pieces are, though a hundred years apart, lead very directly from the Beethoven to the Janicek. Eric, you are the arranger of the Janicek and one of your fellow knights, horn player Michael Atkinson, is the orchestrator. Tell us why those are two different things and how that process worked? It's such a good question. And I really do think this is a unique process that Mike and I have, Mike Atkinson and I have in that, and, and we've kind of talked about arrangements before. And I, I, I think in the best sense, I would like to say that he is an incredible orchestrator uh, in that like if you gave him a piano part, much like, you know, um, you know Bernstein giving people his, uh, his music, and then having them orchestrate it because maybe time, he didn't have the time. I, I'm no orchestrator, but Bernstein could orchestrate. He just didn't a lot of the time. He just wrote his piano part and someone else. So you have something like a Beethoven piano sonata and Mike would have no problem sitting down and just making it into an incredible orchestral piece. Um, I think the way we worked well together on this, and I just think, I mean, I feel so lucky, is that conceptually when this program was coming into view and kind of coming out of the, the fog, I started getting really excited about the colors that our orchestra could get from this piece, so from the Janicek. So really the way I was thinking about it, and I took my score and I started circling things in the string quartet and saying, this really feels like a woodwind section for these reasons that transitions into here um, at the end of the, you know, the, the, the sort of the last minute of the, of the last movement. It's, it's when all, everyone in the string quartet is doing this um, bouncing bow that sounds like which could either be, you know, at times maybe that sound, that feel of a horse, you know, um, galloping, but actually- Or a train. Or in this case, it would be like a train, how like the locomotive is just going and you hear it and the wheels are churning. 
And for me, that was so obviously a snare drum and the need for the only time in our arrangement that that instrument sound comes that complements, of course, the strings. And so more or less, we went through it and I said, oh, I feel like this is the, this is the direction it should go and these are the instruments that could be used. And then um, he took all of that and put his incredible, brilliant, virtuosic arranging spin on that. So he really did, in some ways, the, the, the hours and the labor of, of making this piece into the instrumentation and the orchestration that it is. And I think from my point, it was, you know, having just read the novella and trying to tell a story. And, you know, to be honest, at some point, maybe this will happen, but I actually think our Janacek could be staged. It could be something where we memorize it and we have a moment on stage where it all kind of um, happens and the little dialogues that happen between the instruments. So when thinking about the arrangement, I was thinking a lot about the, the relationships, the, the flute and the cello or the violins and the percussion and how those things happen. So I, that, was, that was how the process worked. <laughs> you call this a, a manic tone poem oh yeah well i mean it is it is very drawn from the tolstoy novella and, and you know you can find the connection between the story and the music at various times um so it does feel like it's it's in that vein of music that describes something but the manic part i mean, i guess it a lot of his music has a sense of beauty thwarted or beauty interrupted you can hear that in the very opening, there's this gorgeous yearning chorale and, and it contains, you know, the primary motif of the whole piece. And then immediately you get different interruptions from different voices. And maybe that is part of the, the emotion of the Tolstoy novella is this kind of yearning for something that gets thwarted all the time. And I, I would just add that they're just the the extremes uh, in the Janacek are uh, meant to be shocking. Uh, and I think he's not looking for smooth at times. He's really looking for the ripping the breath from your from your lungs kind of feeling and in yeah just in the second movement when you have um sort of the strings do this accelerating sound and volume and tempo and then it gets ripped off it's uh I feel like what Janacek's going for is the extreme of what Tolstoy was going for, which is to shock and awe at times, to, to make you hurt quickly and then pull it back. A little bit like um, the relationship where someone says something they don't mean and they want to take it back, but they can't. And I, we've all experienced that. On, probably we've all experienced it on both sides where you say that horrible thing and you just, if, if anything, you would love to re rewind time and pull it back. 
and take that breath, but you just can't. And I think, you know, as humans, we theoretically will learn from that experience and either if we're the givers, we will try not to give that pain. And if we're the receivers, we might be able to empathize and recognize that the person who just gave that pain is probably now in more pain than we are because of that hurt. And I think, I think Janacek and Tolstoy both are going for that. I think more descriptive in their ways um, in, that, in that shock than, than Beethoven was. I don't think that was Beethoven's goal in that piece. I think there's a lot of pain in his piece, but it's not the ripping off of someone's uh, breath or of skipping a beat uh, of, of their heart in pain. It seems like a particularly poignant view of of how we move through the world that we're always trying to operate with grace, but also still experiencing the emotion of the pain that we've been caused. No, I mean, I, I, I would say the other interesting thing is I, I think what Janacek does, and, and maybe Tolstoy too, but Janacek in a music form is able to take pain and make something ecstatic of it. That's what that's what that piece, the Janacek's quarter does for me. It it leaves you in a in a place of high vibrations, <laughs> um, you know. And, and I think it it comes from a a kernel that might be painful, but somehow he's able to ex- expand that feeling into something that is beyond personal pain and becomes an ecstatic expression of the human spirit. I always loved the the Janacek Quartet. I thought that it was the passion was about as vital as the string quartet could be. And I always thought the the Beethoven uh, violin sonata was one of my favorite. I always knew it was one of my favorite, even though, um, you know, as a cellist playing the the cello sonatas, we were so lucky. Cellists are so lucky with the with the Beethoven cello sonatas. Um, though I do think, I, I feel like I, my assumption is I share this view with many people, which is I think the Kreutzer might be my favorite piece of like of small chamber music of, you know, a sonata um, by Beethoven. It's just so immediate. And I think uh, this, this version of it, which I tend to think is something that orchestras will love to do with soloists who will love to do it because it's incredibly passionate. And in some ways it's more, um, what is it called? Uh, energetic, loud, soft. It's more like edge of seat than the Beethoven violin concerto. Not in any way saying it's better or, or whatever. It's just a different style of Beethoven's music. Um, I think it'll work really well. It's incredibly challenging. And I think that's the thing, when you take something from a piano and you move it to an orchestra, you end up having to play a lot lot of notes and someone has to play all those notes. Um, So I think that's that's the challenge uh, if orchestras want to do it. It's, 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 it's 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 a lift, but I think 
what we'll come away from is that this dialogue from, you know, these hundred year gaps where, yes, aren't we all obsessed with time travel? Aren't we all wanting to have dinner with that person that's not alive anymore or something? Um, there's, there's something about having that conversation from, from centuries that will just continue be, to be amazing. And humans will always want to achieve that thing because we're always, you know, practice makes what? And you can't make perfect, but you just keep on trying. We can't make time travel, but maybe. And then, you know, you figure out a way to have that, have that dialogue across um, cult, uh, cultures and, you know, in this case, really across time periods. Conductor Eric Jacobson and his brother, violinist and composer Colin Jacobson, with their band, The Knights, fired up the time machine for their newest album, The Kreutzer Project. I'm Valerie Kaler, sitting in for Julia Macher. Thanks for listening to new classical tracks from APM, American Public Media.